All right. Good morning. Again, good morning, church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Lindsay Watson, and uh, my husband, Tom, and our uh, two kids, uh, Ellie and Eli, have been attending Cascade for about 15 years. I was doing the math. That's a long time. And I admit that I'm a little bit biased, but the Snoqualmie Valley and this church is an absolutely amazing place to raise a family. Um, and so it's just, it's awesome. And many of you have become like family to us over the years. I was not yet pregnant with our oldest when we moved uh, back to Washington State. Uh, so our kids have grown up um, with so many of yours and with so many of you looking on. And that also means that we've gotten to see so many of your children um, grow up and so many of them are gone. I was looking around the room this morning and thinking about our church and all the kids that have come through this space. And it's absolutely amazing to think about. Um, and so, you know, I was prepping for the message this week and Facebook reminded me of some of these memories. You know how they do, they send you those memories and it just brings it all flooding back. Um, and so I actually thought I would start with some cute pictures this morning because who doesn't like cute pictures? I am a little sad that not all the cute, the, the, people who are in these pictures are here this morning uh, because, you know, it's kind of nice to be a little embarrassed, our teenagers here, here and there a little bit. Um, but we'll start with some, some cute pictures. Maybe. All right, look at those cute girls, especially that picture of those guys on the side. You might um, recognize Pastor Dan in the middle uh, there. That was a father-daughter dance that uh, they attended um, at many years ago, many years ago. Um, these are different pictures. We have Club 45 over here, which I loved because it showed so many of the kids that we've grown up with. And then this is also a turkey bowl um, experience. And I kind of, you know, I really wanted to like zoom in on some of those faces so that you could be like, oh, that's Camden. He looks so different. Or that's Noah Birch. Or that's Bryn Bulgy. They look so different. The Global 6K, um, uh, Leo and Cece were up here earlier and even in the last few years, it's amazing how much they have changed and grown. Um, and so that's really fun. I wanted to include the Global 6K picks because that's been such a huge part of life here um, with our people. We also have gone and done apple picking or apple sorting in Yakima. Again, this is one of those where I wanted to zoom in because you might not even recognize some of those kids. I think Ben Gorski has grown two feet at least since this photo was taken. Um, also Halloween, and there might be some Anderson kids in the room that might recognize themselves there in the middle. Um, man, uh, I was texting with Lisa and she said that this is actually their first Halloween here in the Snoqualmie Valley, um, and so pretty cool to see their family and to see them now and how they've grown into amazing humans and um, beautiful teenagers. And Rogan Gillespie's not here, but that's him in that, um, that hat over there. He's like this tall and has hair down to here now, and it's awesome. Um, and then Kyla Lindbergh is up there. Um, Kyla was our nanny for many years, and she's married now. We celebrated her wedding this summer, and so just really cool to just see these people and to know how, how much um, we've interacted. And I saved the cutest for last, and again, I really wish Noah was here so that he could see some of these photos. But that's Noah Birch and Ellie there. Are they so cute? They're so cute. Um, and so these kids have literally been raised by you all. And so part of me just wants to say thank you so much for that. 
Um, a small tidbit of information for you guys who don't know me is I actually grew up at this church. So I spent three quarters of my life with this church community. And that's it's awesome. I also had the privilege of serving as the pastor here for a few years. A number of years ago, three years ago, I took a job working for our denomination, uh, serving with Covenant Kids Congo and uh, leading the partnership that we have with World Vision. And so my primary role is to support community development efforts that happen in the Northwest region of Congo. Uh, but I also get to be a part of a team called Covenant World Relief and Development that does development work and relief all around the world. And um, that's probably been one of those just extra things um, in my job that I didn't really know I was getting into when I said yes. And it's been absolutely amazing. This organization has come alongside, just in the last year, nearly 30 partners in about 20 different countries, doing a multitude and a variety of different projects. And last year, we granted $1.75 million to organizations around the world. And this is a covenant entity. So as a covenant church, we are actually a part of this story. And that's what's so amazing. We're part of this narrative of what God is doing around the world. And you know, the way that God continues to expand my call to serve the local church, which is what I was doing here as a pastor and what I love doing here, and how he's taken that to the denominational level and then included some of this global engagement that what he's doing around the world. It's just, it blows my mind that he's allowed me to, to be a part of this. Um, and so I'm excited to share a little bit with you guys today about what he's doing around the globe. Uh, nearly two months ago, Dan mentioned, I kicked off an incredibly busy season of work travel, um, and it began with a trip to India. And I had actually applied for the trip back in January, just as a general participant, because I'd heard about the work that was happening there, and I was like, yeah, I want to go on that trip. I'd love to see what God is doing. Um, but they were like, yeah, no, we're not taking any staff people. That's not fair. Uh, but three weeks before the trip, uh, they were looking for a staff person to help with some of the logistics. And so I was like, I can do that. I can get a visa in three weeks. I can do that. Um, and so I was really excited to be able to um, jump on this opportunity. And this is a picture of our team together. Um, Praj, who's on the right, was the leader of the trip, and she is Indian and part of the Hindustani Covenant Church that I'm going to be sharing with you a little bit more about. But all of these women are covenant leaders, pastors and mission people and covenant churches all across the United States. And so it was kind of fun that it was just an all-women trip that got to be a part, got to do this together. Um, that was really cool, too. So I am going to be sharing about that. Fast forward, Pastor Dan and the sermon planning team um, asked if I'd be willing to share a message in December. And I was like, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while, but yeah, that'd be great. Um, and then we decided on Bread of Life. And I, it was out of this, this um, Advent book that we've been reading together. And I immediately knew that I wanted to weave together and make some connections about the trip um, that I took to India. Because God's presence is tangible in India in a place where food and resources are scarce and the need for hope is abundant, the church's understanding of Jesus as the bread of life, spiritual and physical, is deeply rooted. And it was absolutely inspirational. Um, our Advent series is about the names of Jesus. And we've been walking through that, as I said, this devotion. And each week we highlight a different name of Jesus. And the idea is that we highlight it today, and then it's one of the, the things that we might be reading uh, this week. But I wanted to draw your attention, if you don't have that book yet, 
Lisa made these awesome flyers that are available, um, and they basically have everything that's in the book for today. So you don't even need the book. You need this flyer. So please pick it up on your way out. There's lots of really cool things in it, um, ideas of what you can do this week to kind of expand into Advent and celebrate a little bit more. It talks about joy, which is um, this week's Advent theme. Um, and it also has a little bit about the bread of life. So I'd encourage you to, to pick that up. Our hope for this season is really that, that we'll be on the lookout for God revealing himself this month because he is at work all around us, um, revealing himself in big ways and in little ways every single day. And that first Christmas, God revealed himself in a new way in the person of Jesus Christ. And today, he's continuing to reveal himself in new ways. It might be through the beautiful music that we heard this morning. It might be through every time you hear jingle bells, an angel gets its wings. Um, it might be friends and family. It's gift-giving. That's part of, you know, the, the blessing of being generous and, and being together, gift-giving. Snow in the mountains is a way that maybe God will reveal himself this year. Maybe not. El Nino and all those things. Um, but everywhere we look, we can see God at work and we can feel his presence. Even in the midst of grief and loss and famine and war. And maybe you've experienced loss recently. And Advent season, this Advent season has been nothing short of miserable for you. In the midst of your struggles, I pray that you will experience God's joy and his goodness, his character in a new way that maybe those who haven't experienced loss haven't even experienced it. So you'll get to experience a different side of who God is, that his comfort might feel or look differently, but it is comfort. Advent is a season of expectant waiting, kind of the definition, if you will, in preparation for the celebration of Jesus' birth. But it's more than just a reflection on this historical event that happened a long time ago, Jesus' birth. Just as the arrival of Jesus was the answer to promises and prophecies that had been made long ago, Jesus promised to come again and to make all things right. In a world where all things are certainly not right, Advent reminds us to keep our eyes on what's to come. And during this Advent season, we await the arrival of Jesus, who will bring hope and peace and joy and love. All those candles represent those things. To a world that is longing for redemption and longing for restoration. It literally is groaning for those things. So while we wait, we have the opportunity to be those things to those around us, right? Where we go, we bring the hope of Christ. Where we go, we bring the joy of Christ. We bring peace in a world that really needs peace right now. And our joy is, it's not grounded in happiness or good things that might be happening around us. It's, it's inside us. It's grown inside us, and it's stoked by a relationship with Jesus Christ, and where we go, we bring love. We bring love to everyone because Jesus loves everyone. And that's what we're called to do. So as we dive into the word today, I'm just going to say a quick prayer over this time and then we'll get started. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the celebration um, that we get to have every single Sunday to be together in you, to be together, God, celebrating all that you are. Thank you, Jesus, that you came 2,000 years ago to be with us and that through your Holy Spirit, you're present every single day. We just need to turn towards you 
and pay attention to how you're revealing yourself every day. God, I pray that you'll be in my words. May they be your words. May we be challenged by the message today, God, uh, by what your word has for us. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray these things. Amen. Amen. So today, we are going to be diving into Jesus' proclamation, I am the bread of life. Make sure that popped up. And just as Advent symbolizes this longing and expectation for the arrival of Christ, this claim that Jesus made, I am the bread of life, really embodies the fulfillment of that longing. In the same way that the ancient prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah, Jesus' statement unveiled his identity and that he is the fulfillment of those divine promises. And it's not just a promise of physical sustenance, but of eternal nourishment. And Advent invites us to embrace that fully. Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life, is an invitation for belief. It's an invitation for transformation, a perspective shift. And it's also an invitation to do it together in community. And so we're going to be spending the majority of our time at the end of John chapter 6. Uh, but before we read the passage, I wanted to set the stage a little bit for the context, if you will, of that passage. passage. So the chapter opens along the Sea of Galilee. And there's a great crowd that has followed Jesus there because they had been intrigued by the signs and the different things that they had seen Jesus do. And he's looking around and he's seeing this crowd of people, and he asks Philip, one of the disciples, where we can, we, he says, where can we buy some food for all these people? And Philip, aghast and maybe like a little bit nervous about what Jesus is going to say next, he says that it would take a year's wage just to give everybody one bite, much less fulfill them. But then this other disciple stands up and he's like, well, there's a boy over there who has five loaves and two fish. And last Sunday, Pastor Dan talked about the importance of words, and he opened with the adage that um, a picture is worth a thousand words. But in this instance, I really wish that there was a video. I wish that there was a video, because what, were the what was the posture of the disciples? What was Jesus' facial expressions as the people are, as the disciples are asking him these questions? Were they like, meh, or here we go again, Jesus? Or were they actually concerned with the people like Jesus was? Or were they like, they should have packed their own lunch? Like, what were the people, like, what, what were they thinking? I just, I feel like facial expressions would have rounded it out for me a little bit more than just reading the words on the page. Um, but we read... Um, in verse 11, that Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. As much as they wanted. There were 5,000 men in the crowd. And so some experts will say that there was up to 15,000 people there, women and children included. And they ate their fill that day. I mean, right? I mean, come on, Jesus, can you multiply some other things in our, you know, right? Like, that, that miracle provided more than what was needed. He took this small offering of loaves and fish. He blessed it, which I think that's a very important part there. He blessed it. And then he multiplied it to feed the multitude. It was a miracle of physical food, but it was also a demonstration of Jesus' power 
and his compassion for people. And in verse 15, so just you know, a couple verses later, we read that Jesus withdrew to a mountain by himself. And that was one of the things that Jesus did often. We know that it's important to take time away with the Father, right? We've, been, we've learned about that all year here at Cascade. But Jesus does that. He, he takes some time away. He goes to the mountain. And a few hours later, his disciples ditched him. They literally got in a boat. Jesus wasn't there. It says Jesus wasn't there, so they, they got in a boat, and they started to row across the sea without him. Three to four miles later, Jesus meets up with them by walking on water. No big deal. One more amazing miracle that Jesus did. And John 6 doesn't actually give a ton of detail about that experience, but in Matthew 14, it goes into more depth about, uh, this is the one where, you know, faith and trust, and Peter steps out of the boat, and then he sinks, that, that one, right? So there's a little more detail in Matthew than there is in John. So this is where we're going to pick up the story. The next day, the crowd of people, intrigued by the miraculous signs that they had seen, they sought out Jesus. We're going to read John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Two things here. First, Jesus says, all you have to do is belief. All we have to do is belief. And then honestly, verse 30, the question where they're like, what sign will you give us? I mean, come on. To be fair, most of these people had not seen the walking on water bit. That was for the disciples. But they had literally just seen God, Jesus, take a couple loaves and fishes and produce food for 5,000 people plus. And they're like, what are you, show us. What sign will you give? Again, a video here would have been nice. I would like to know how Jesus actually responded. Like, what was his tone of voice when he responded to them? Um, and then they bring up Moses and manna, right? They're like, well, I mean, our ancestors did this. What, what are you going to do? And Jesus knew, Jesus knew when he used the phrase bread of life that his listeners would most definitely have thought of the story of manna. So he reminds people that it wasn't Moses who gave the gift, but God. In verse 32, he says to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Manna was a daily gift, a daily provision, provision to the traveling Israelites in the wilderness. In the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, that, there's roots in that in this story. 
Every day, God provided just enough to keep the Israelites from starving. And it was the way that God sustained his people in the wilderness. It was a miracle every single morning. They got to see a miracle. But it satisfied only temporarily. The next day, they had to go out and collect more manna. They had to go out because they were hungry again. And the manna that Jesus was offering, the bread of life that Jesus was offering, satisfied eternally. And so this is what they said. They said, sir, always give us this bread. Always give us this bread. He had their attention, right? He had their attention in that statement. And in the Middle East, ancient Middle East, bread was a staple part of people's diets. It was the most reliable source of energy for the body, and it was, fairly ava- it was easily available and very easy to make with very little preparation. It's also a staple of life pretty much in every single culture in one or many forms, right? There's white bread, wheat bread, pumpernickel, French bread, Italian bread, pita, tortilla, sourdough. I'm forgetting your favorite, I'm sure. There's so many different breads out there. Um, In India, it's naan or roti. They, They have it with almost every single meal. It's part of everyday life. In some cultures, bread might be substituted for rice. Or in Congo, bread is not really a thing. Bread's not a staple there, but fuku is, which is a combination of manioc and corn. And here in the States, though, when we say the word bread, chances are there's some delicious image in your head, or taste, or smell, or maybe a texture that's popping up in your head. In our family, and me personally, it's fresh French bread from Safeway. And if you get there at 10 a.m., so like you go straight after church to Safeway, you, it will still be warm in the bag. And I can literally eat the whole loaf. So can my daughter. She can eat one herself. Like, it's a thing. We love the French bread from Safeway. So that's what picture comes to my mind. But after this, there comes an invitation, right? The invitation from Jesus comes next. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus identifies himself as the bread of life. He extends an invitation that transcends the limitations of, of the physical world of a physical hunger, right? Whoever comes to me will never be hungry or thirsty, and I will never drive them away, and I will never lose them. He speaks to the deepest part of our human hearts, the longing for purpose, for meaning, for fulfillment, for belonging. You see, bread is a staple. It's sustaining life and providing nourishment. And in a similar way, Our relationship with Jesus is a staple. Having the capacity to sustain our lives and provide nourishment. And 
Jesus extends an invitation to all. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. This call is not confined to a select few or, or just a couple of us. It's open, it's inclusive, available to all who believe. Amen? Amen. I mean, that is good news. That is good news. There's a few other things that stand out in this passage that I just, I just want to show you. Know, I think they should show up yellow. Yep. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, all those the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And this is the will of him who sent me. I shall lose none of all of those he has given me. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him, I will raise them up on the last day. John 3:16, right? Very common verse that many people know. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And there's aspects of this passage that remind me of the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus will go after the one. He will not lose anyone who comes to him. Every single person is valuable. Every single person is worth it. It says so much about the character of God in this passage and how loved we are by our creator. And we will not find fulfillment elsewhere. But we also know that Jesus is not saying in this passage that those who believe in him will never be physically hungry again, because we know that that's not true. There are millions of people worldwide who are loved by God and are hungry for their next meal. But this promise of fulfillment means that our lives will be transformed from the inside out, fruit of the Spirit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, characteristics like hope and comfort and beauty and generosity and worth. They're going to rise to the surface in our lives, and we will be empowered to love well those around us. We'll find that our anger and our bitterness, jealousy, fear, all of those things fall away because we'll learn what it means to trust in Jesus. We'll surrender our will and our wants for what God wants for us. So no matter what's under the tree or what promotion or raise might be coming, no matter what grade we get or what team we make, when we have a relationship with Jesus, we come to him, not put him on the shelf, not put him on the sidelines, not have him as an afterthought, when we come to him, we will experience all the promises of Advent, love, peace, joy, hope, and more. We get to do it together. Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life, is an invitation for belief and transformation, a perspective shift. It's also an invitation into community. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
This passage describes the early church, the first believers, made up of disciples, and most likely some of the people who ate some of those fish and some of that bread. They had heard his teaching and they believed. And over the years, this has become one of my very favorite passages in Scripture because there's so much there. There's so much about the people of God there. When Jesus invites us to eat the bread, he's inviting us into this community. He's inviting us into a community of of believers. The Acts 2 community was formed by those who responded to the invitation of Jesus. But it wasn't solely an invitation or a, a community based on proximity but it was rooted in the shared belief that Jesus is the bread of life. Belief in Jesus is an invitation into a transformational relationship that satisfies our deepest hunger and unites us in a community of faith. We are invited to become agents of sustenance, sharing the love and hope and peace and joy found in Christ with others, with one another and with the whole world. The early church understood this. And I believe here at Cascade Covenant, we understand it as well. I hope that we do. I know that my family has found an amazing community, amazing family here. When we were brainstorming mentors for Ellie's confirmation this last week, the list of potential people was so long. There were so many people that we would be honored to be her mentor. You are all helping us raise our children into people of faith who, who love Jesus and others really well, and I'm so thankful for that. So if you're new or you're visiting here, stick around. It's a really great community of people. This is a home. And when I was traveling in India, I encountered Acts 2 people. I encountered an Acts 2 church. Hindustani Covenant Church is a partner church of the Evangelical Covenant Church of the U.S. and Canada, and that's kind of a mouthful. But the Evangelical Covenant Church is our denomination that we're a part of. And there are denominations in other countries, independent of ours, and one of them is in India, the Hindustani Covenant Church. They're also a partner of Covenant World Relief and Development. So they received some of the grant money that I I, um, referenced earlier. But they were founded by Swedish missionaries in 1938, and they have been loving Jesus and serving the people of India since. And while I have a hundred stories and nearly a thousand pictures that I could share, um, I do just want to share a few things of what I saw in the church while I was there. The whole time I was in India, Acts 2, 42 through 47, was on repeat in my head. The Holy Spirit is alive and at work among the people there. So I'm going to reread that passage for us, but I've made a little bit of edits to it. Says the church in India. The church in India is devoted to the teaching of Jesus and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They are filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed. They are seeing miracles, physical healings, and spiritual ones. The believers are together, sharing what they have, selling possessions and goods to have the means to give to those in need. Every day they continue to meet together in their homes to pray during their daily cottage prayer meetings. They break bread in their homes and eat together with glad and sincere hearts, praying and singing praises to God and enjoying the favor of many people. And the Lord is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. The church in India is growing, but the persecution of the church is also growing. So I would remind us all to keep the church in our prayers. They are continually being oppressed by both individuals 
as well as many of the systems that are at play there. And as I mentioned earlier, and similar to many of our global partners worldwide, the Hindustani Covenant's church understanding of Jesus as the bread of life, both spiritual and physical, is deeply rooted. There is no separation between word and deed. They are so intertwined that nearly every action of the church encompasses both physical and spiritual nourishment. India is emerging as a global player in the global economy, and with it, there's a growing middle class. But much of the population continues to live on two to three dollars a day. The needs of the people are vast, and the church is responding to those needs. They often use the phrase soup, soap, and salvation, which I believe started with the Salvation Army. Um, they're concerned with a person's immediate physical needs. Give them some soup. Then they help restore a person's dignity and help them enter back into society, which is a big deal in India with the caste system. That's the soap part. And finally, they share the good news of transformation in Jesus with the people. And they, they do these things simultaneously. Sounds a little bit like our passage today, feeding the multitude and inviting them into a transformed life. So I wanted to share quickly a few of the projects that we visited. And as I do, join me in considering how these projects represent both spiritual and physical nourishment. First, there's the rag picker project, where children wake up at 4 a.m. to go into the dump and collect materials that might be worth money. Plastics, cloth, metals, Covenant Social Services, which is a ministry of Hindustani Covenant Church, has secured a small space, a small safe space, where the children can come for informal education every day after work. They receive meals, access to medical care, informal education, and love. That little, where that stairway is, that door is the room that they go into. I couldn't stand up in it, it's a very, very short room. It's on top of a woman's house, and she donated the space. And she's a Muslim who donated the space. The Solapur Water Service is world famous in the realm of community development, providing water to drought-affected areas through drilling tube wells. They also are pioneers in research and development of hand pumps, which you see there. Known affectionately as the Covenant Pump, these are all over the world because of recognition from UNICEF. Access to water means so much for communities. It's the starting place. This is why so many of us do Team World Vision and raise money for clean water. Which I know Dan said, by the way, that you could come and run with us. You can also just come and walk with us. Can I get an amen <laughs> for that? You could just come and be with us and go on a walk. You don't have to run. You don't have to run. But when somebody doesn't have to walk for water, when they no longer have to make that, that travel multiple times a day, women and children are freed up to pursue education, better nutrition, healthier bodies, and so much more. We also visited a farm where the farmer excitedly showed us his worm bin and explained his crop rotations to us. And if you know me, you know that this was a project that I was excited about. Nobody else was excited about touching those worms, but I was really excited about this. 
This project has allowed them to grow nutritious plants for their families, as well as plants like cotton, so that they can provide income for their families. Another family was excited to show us their animals and explain their participation in an animal husbandry project. We actually had a meal with this family, and it was amazing. We were underneath a mango tree and just had a meal together. It was absolutely amazing. Their generosity blew me away. But this has given their family a livelihood and allowed them to be generous with their neighbors. The animals are raised for both milk as well as for meat, and when they reproduce, the firstborn offspring are given to the next beneficiary, to their neighbors. They can raise animals now that will provide nutrition as well as income for their future. We also visited a community in Balki where a nomadic tribal community has settled. Essentially living in tents on the outskirts of town, the church is meeting these families where they are at, introducing them to sustainable livelihoods, providing a daily ration of food for children and pregnant women. Because the children are outside the education system, informal education is provided, as well as access to medical care. The pastors in Balki visit this community every single day to provide these things. And then finally, I want to share about the Commercial Sex Workers Project. Probably the hardest for me to fathom and to witness, where it's often the darkest, the light of Jesus can shine the brightest. Every day, excuse me, every day, there's a team of people, one of which lives in the brothels with these women, who go into the brothels, which we got to walk in the brothels. And they are apartment complexes full of women who are working. But they get to go into these brothels. They get to meet women. They get to interact with them and sit with them. They get to know them on a deep level. They get to know them while they're at work as well as during their free time. They give eye contact. They give hugs. They give handshakes. They give dignity. These women are offered counseling and medical care, food rations, and child care. They're also offered a way out of this line of work, should a woman wish for it. Not referred to as rescue, which is something that we sometimes use that term when we're talking about sex trafficking. It's not referred to as rescue, but rather ransom. These women and girls are given the opportunity to have their debt paid so that they can freely leave prostitution. You see, prostitution is legal in India, and with it, many systems of injustice and slavery exist. But because it's legal, there's, there's not other ways to gain your freedom other than being able to purchase your freedom. So when women make this choice, they're ransomed, given a fresh start, given a home at a place called Home of Hope. And here, in addition to receiving counseling and medical care, they're provided training in different livelihoods, such as cooking and cleaning, computers, fashion design, as well as making communion wafers. The women on the left are making communion wafers. This young woman on the right, she made that dress, and she's going to school to be a fashion designer. Not only are these women's physical needs being met, they are safe, they're seen, 
and they have a hope for the future. They're also covered in prayer, and their dignity is being restored. These women are also sharing that love, that hope, that joy with the world, with all of us, by making communion wafers. We, this is what we use when we take communion. We, we use the wafers that are made by these women. And they're, they're used in churches across India, across the United States, as well as in Sweden. The church in India is alive and doing amazing work. And again, because we're a covenant church, we get to be a part of that. It was amazing to be able to see the good work firsthand. And, and I, felt that God, I felt God revealing a little bit more of himself in every single interaction I had with the people in India. It was truly a gift. So like our sisters and brothers in India, like those who believed after hearing Jesus 2,000 years ago when they ate that fish and bread, and all of those since, when we acknowledge Jesus as the bread of life, our lives will be transformed, and we are invited to take part in transforming the world around us. Understanding Jesus as the bread of life reshapes our perspective. This bread is not only an invitation to life, it is life. And may it be that this Advent season for us.